It is good to see all of you out this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. I was wondering which version of that song he was going to lead. Because uh, in the Friday night singings, there are two of them. And uh, we had a, a gentleman uh, that would get up and he would lead it. His name was James Skates. And he would get up and he would always sing a different rendition. And uh, I like the different renditions. Some others don't. My grandmother doesn't like it. I, <laughs> I keep thinking one day I'm going to leave it. I haven't done it yet, but one day I might, might do it. <laughs> but anyway, our lesson for today, or for today is in our, our theme of the greatest gifts of God. So far we have studied the gift of love. Last week we've talked about the gift of grace, which actually ties in very well with the scripture reading that we had from Romans chapter 6 that began with grace and led into eternal life. And that's what our lesson is today. The gift of eternal life. If you asked me what songs about heaven did I want him to sing today? And I said, well, the lesson isn't about heaven necessarily. And it's not. It has mention of heaven, but this is on eternal life. There's something different there. It's from a, a different perspective, if you will. But one of the greatest gifts that we are told of in Scripture is the gift of eternal life. Romans 6, looking specifically at verses 22 and 23. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. The end of life on earth sees reward based on how we have lived. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is earned by a life of sin, but eternal life is a gift. Eternal life could never be deserved, but is given to us through God's Son. Eternal life is not earned by a life of good deeds. And no amount of good deeds, as we've been looking at in the last few weeks, no amount of good deeds could ever make us deserving of that gift. But it is given based on the righteousness of Christ that covers us by contact with His blood. And that comes through obedience to the gospel, through baptism for the remission of sins. Our lesson objectives for this morning are, first of all, to learn what eternal life is and what it means. Secondly, to learn how and why eternal life is given to us. Especially that it is not earned and how that, that comes about. And thirdly, to learn why eternal life is considered among the greatest gifts of God. And what would be the result? If there was no eternal life. Well, what would we have to look forward to 
if eternal life wasn't given to us. It is one of the greatest gifts because it comes from God. Let's begin our lesson by looking at life versus death. In our earthly world, we recognize the sentences given by our courts. First of all, you have that of innocence. Uh, one who is found not guilty, he is set free from the bondage to the law. He's not guilty of breaking it, and so he is set free. He finds freedom in his innocence. We have a sentence of death. It is reserved often for the worst of sins and transgressions possible. One is deserving of death, for instance, when he has taken the life of another. And so we see that as a sentence as well. We have that of life in prison that is handed down when the desire of the court is for the guilty party to live with the knowledge of sin or transgression committed. When we want them to remember it throughout their life, remember why they are being punished, why they are, are suffering this sentence, that is the one that is handed down. And at times it seems the most merciful but is also at times more torturous. We grant someone life and yet they have to live with the memory of why they are imprisoned. And why they do not have their freedom. The sentences that we are familiar with are based on justice and receiving what one truly deserves. A punishment that fits the crime, if you will. That's what we see as far as judgment in our world. Now, the difference between our judgment and God's is that God, when judging His own people, judges not with justice, but with mercy and grace. Those not obedient to Him are still judged with justice and receive their due reward. As we go back to Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. If you live a life of sin, then you face the consequences of your actions. You face justice in that regard. But those who do, those who live in accordance with God's plan, in accordance with His Word, are judged not with justice, but with mercy and grace. But the gift of God is eternal life. We deserve the wages of sin because our righteousness, anything that we could ever do that would come close to righteousness would never compare with the gift of God's Son. And that's another lesson. As a matter of fact, that's next, next week's lesson. But nothing that we could ever do in this earth would ever compare with, with what Jesus gave for us in giving His life. Because He gave a life that had been lived perfectly in regard to the law. He had not transgressed the law, not one bit. 
we deserve the wages of sin because we are guilty. We are guilty of sin. And in essence, we are guilty of the blood of Christ. But because of Christ's sacrifice for us, we are given eternal life instead. We're not given justice. We're not given what we deserve. We are judged with mercy and grace because of what Christ did for us. What is death? Defined, death is a noun. The action or fact of dying or being killed, the end of the life of a person or organism. That's how we would define death. All man must die, which is what we might refer to as the first death. But Scripture also speaks of a second death. Second death. Revelation 2 and verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death is eternal in nature. This is described in Matthew 25 and verse 46 as an everlasting punishment. It's in a place that, that we refer to as hell. Hell is what we all deserve from the standpoint of justice because of our wickedness, because of the, the way that we have lived on earth. However, God's plan for man brings him life. What is life? A noun. It is defined as the existence of an individual human being or animal. In spiritual terms, the existence of man. Again, Matthew 25 and verse 46, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And not because of my own righteousness necessarily, but because of the righteousness of Christ that covers me. What kind of existence would we experience outside of Christ? What kind of existence would we experience with Christ? This is eternal life. Eternal life is the greatest existence of all. What is eternal life? I feel like I'm giving you a quiz or something. What is eternal life? Let me tell you how the Bible defines eternal life. 
First of all, eternal life is rest. It is rest. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 says this. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, the Spirit, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works. Follow them. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors. Do you ever get tired? I do. As a matter of fact, um, this week, Friday, I, I did a little something out of the ordinary. I, um, I don't usually work at SportsCom on Friday. I usually work on Monday and Wednesday, and those are long days for me. But I worked on Friday. They needed a little bit of help, and so I went in. And uh, so I worked uh, almost a full shift at, at SportsCom. I had something else to do. Came home and I had a little bit of time after lunch for a 10-minute nap. I took a 10-minute nap. And I went to my other job at uh, Smyrna Christian School. And I was there till 5.45. And, and I left and came home. And, and we had some things that we needed to do. We had to, to stop by my grandmother's for a table and chairs. And, and we went to dinner. And, and we started back home. We still had another couple of stops to make. And, and Marissa was fussing at me for, for I was sleepy, I guess, and my eyes were trying to close, and I was tired. I was tired. I had done a not quite normal day of work and things of that nature, and I was tired. I wanted to rest. That's all I could think about was to get home and rest. And I know that we've all had instances like that, where maybe we get caught up with work or, or whatever. And, and whatever happens, it makes for a really long day. And by the time you get to the end of it, of it all you can think of is let me get home and rest. Eternal life is rest. Now, from a spiritual standpoint, rest is used more as a noun than a verb. Have you ever thought about that? We think of resting, sleeping, that kind of thing. That's... That's a verb. But from a scriptural standpoint, we are provided with rest as a noun. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, a familiar passage to us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. We have rest from our labors. Rest with God. He provides us with that rest. I've... I've not lived long enough yet to, to really realize what it, it means maybe to be older. But but when we get older, you know, something that I think about whenever we go to the nursing home, what do they usually call it? A rest home? I wonder why they call it a rest home. You know, older people are able to go there and it's a time where 
they've come to almost the close of their lives. They've lived a, a long and useful life. They've, they've worked, they've, they've worked enough years to be able to retire. And they go to a, a rest home because they're ready in their physical life to rest from their labors. We try to provide them with comfort in that time of life. But we come to a point in our lives, we will come to a point in our lives where we do get older. And we know, even I, at 34, I recognize, I recognize even in my own physical existence that, that I can't last as long as I once could. I can't do as many things as I once did. And as we come to that point in life, we seek rest. Eternal life is rest. A rest from our labors. A rest from this earthly life that we have lived. A life full of troubles sometimes and, and, and difficulties. But we come to a point where we want to rest. That's what eternal life is. Notice that hell offers no rest. Revelation 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. But they have no rest. If we, if we end up in an eternal existence in hell, there is no rest. So what we seek is eternal life. And eternal life is characterized by rest. A heavenly country. Eternal life means an existence in a heavenly country. A better place. Hebrews 11 and beginning with verse 13. We read this of the faithful these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Heaven is a promise of something greater than what we have already experienced. You imagine the greatest thing that you've experienced in your life. The greatest place, your favorite place to go. One of our favorite places to go is Gatlinburg. We go there every year now. It started off, we went because we would go see the Oak Ridge Boys. They're, they play there every year. And so we would go there for that. And, and it ended up becoming somewhat of a tradition. And we go to Gatlinburg at least once a year. It's better than Gatlinburg. It's better than Paris, France. It's better than any other famous place that you could imagine. It is a better place. No matter where you live, no matter where you go on vacation, no matter what is your favorite place on earth, heaven is better. It is home. 
We want to go home. You know, we talked about rest, wanting to, to rest. Well, there also comes a time in, in almost every day where you just want to go home. I want to go home. Kids get that way too. Are we there yet? Are we home? No matter where you go on earth, it is not home. This world is not my home. So if I want to go home, my true home is with God. Home is where the heart is. Our heart should be with God. Where, where your treasure is, where do you have your treasures laid? Is it on the earth? Is it in something of the earth? Or is it with God? Home is heaven. Not anything that we've enjoyed or known in this life. Home is heaven. It is the presence of God. If you want to be in the presence of God for eternity, that's what heaven is. It is a city that is prepared for God's people. It's not just a place. You know, you know we're having a little Christmas dinner at our house. We have to prepare for that. We're preparing our place for visitors to come in. Heaven is a prepared place for you. There's a city that is prepared for you. John 14 verses 1 through 4, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Heaven is a prepared place, but it's only a prepared place for prepared people. That is our goal, is to reach heaven. That is eternal life. Turn with me to Revelation 21. Let's spend a little time in this chapter when we think about heaven and what heaven is, we find that it is a new heaven, a new earth. A new heaven is in the sky. There are different types of, of heaven. There are different levels of heaven. And if you were to look up into the sky, you would think of that as the heavens. Uh, it's a new heavens above us, a, a new earth below us. Something completely new. Revelation 21 beginning with verse 4 or verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Jerusalem in the Old Testament period was a representation of the throne of Israel's kingdom. That's where the king sat. That's where uh, everything took place. That's where they went to worship. That was Jerusalem. 
but even grander than what was could ever be imagined in Jerusalem is the new Jerusalem. Uh, this new Jerusalem is the throne of God Himself. Revelation 21 and beginning with verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. New Jerusalem is the very definition of righteousness, as we read in verse 27. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life live in the, this great city. New Jerusalem is characterized just as much for what is not there as what is there. No tears. For they are all wiped away by God Himself. There's also nothing to bring tears to the eyes of the saints. There is no death. There is no sorrow. No crying. No pain. All those things are done away with. The former things have passed away. And those will be former things. In this new Jerusalem. In chapter 22 and verse 5 of Revelation Again, it says, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Something I just thought of, but I think it's interesting to read here, that there is no night there. And if you think about creation, remember that God had to create the light. He had to create the sun, the moon, and the stars to light the world that we live in because they didn't exist yet. Hmm. Verse 3, the promise that God Himself will be with them and be their God. Going back to chapter 21. Eternal life with the provider of life Himself. The one who gave us life gives us eternal life. A life that will never end we can't imagine what that would be like. I've often tried. Eternal life means eternal fellowship. Fellowship, first of all, with God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The very one in which we are baptized, we are in fellowship with Him eternally. Revelation 7 and verse 15 Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. 
Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. Reminded of what is said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's what I'm looking forward to. Or one of the many things that I'm looking forward to, the presence of God and eternal fellowship with Him. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. And not only that, but we also have fellowship with our brethren, our fellow saints. Revelation 21 and verse 27. But there shall by no means enter it anything that thought the that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Robert R. Taylor, Jr., in a book called The Bible Doctrine of Final Things, in chapter 25, Glimpses of Glory, he says this, Angels who successfully retained their original estate, patient Patriarchs, powerful prophets, ardent apostles, concentrated Christians, and steadfast saints of all the three great dispensations will one day surround the rainbow-clad throne and in choral unison will lift their grateful voices in hymning the song of Moses and the Lamb. The eternal fellowship of associating with the Godhead and the redeemed of all ages provides glimpses of glory relative of which my pen can depict but faintly. We can't begin to understand what it's going to mean to us to have eternal fellowship with family members, friends, especially those that have gone before us, can only imagine. But remember also who won't be there. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part and the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those who have lived wickedly in this life will not be in heaven. Those who have refused to obey the gospel will not be in heaven. Those who have ignored, those who have spoken against Christ, those who have not believed, those who believe that have renounced them, none of these will be in heaven. Eternal life 
is one of the greatest gifts of God. But who shall attain it? Only the righteous who were written in the book of life will see heaven, will experience eternal life, will experience rest, will experience that better country, will experience New Jerusalem and all the joys that go along with it. You must be a faithful child of God to enter in to eternal life. Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? And even if so, have you remained faithful? Are you a faithful Christian today? Just as much as you were when you were first baptized. If you're not a child of God, or if you're not a faithful child of God, all the things that we've talked about today will not be yours if Jesus comes for us today. And we don't know when He's going to come. He may come at a time, and He will come when many are unaware, when many are unprepared. Don't let that be you. If you want to experience eternal life, make your life right in His sight. Make your heart right with Him. And if there's any way that we can assist you, let us do that as together we stand and as we